0: Afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium.
1: Zibigowski, going to
0: get to the outside. He has blockers in front.
1: Brady Quinn looking, pump fakes, he rolls to the near side, throws it, it's caught by Samarza,
2: inside the 20, inside the 10, he's going in, Notre Dame has scores Jones is the back, he's got it again, and Jones, a letter of Tony Jones makes a cut, gets a block, and scores!
0: Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish?
2: What's up, and welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish with Tyler Rojack and Luke Smith. We're through three weeks of the college football season, but now we're really getting going here because Notre Dame finally covered a point spread as the Irish beat the drumless Purdue Boilermakers 27-13 to on Saturday to move to 3-0 and on the year. We'll be joined by Tyler Horka of BlueAndGold.com here and a few to go over what we liked and didn't like from Saturday, and we'll hand out some free drinks in the process. But as always, we've got to start with our boots on the ground and Luke, who is part of a near sellout crowd in Notre Dame's second home game of the year. It's
1: September 20th, as we're recording this, and Notre Dame has not lost. Uh, They're 3-0, heading into the last week in September, playing a Wisconsin team, and they're, you know, what, six-point dogs. But we'll get to that later. But, uh, yeah, I was back in South Bend on Saturday, drove up Saturday morning, and uh, I will never do that again. I don't think, like, it just doesn't give you enough time. The people I was leaving with did not wake up as early as I would have liked them to. And then I had to drive us, and um, then I pretty much told them to figure it out because I just decided to stay in South Bend after the game, so that's what <laughs> I did. Um, but it was good, you know. It was really hot. Um, it's it was nice to be in a more close to capacity crowd. Like it wasn't quite a sellout. Still, I think they were maybe a thousand or so seats short. I think I want to say, um, but it was good. Like I thought the atmosphere was great. Irish wore a ton of green, and uh, I thought it looked really good. So. I don't know. I don't really have a a whole lot more to add than that. Um, Another kind of just like typical boring Purdue game, to be honest. Like it's like, yeah, you're playing Purdue, nothing that notable happens. And it's kind of just a slog. But um, that was kind of my takeaway from from the
2: weekend. Did you happen to see the drum at all outside? Because it looked like it was pretty close to the tailgate lots.
1: I did not see it, but that reminds me because somebody bet me in the tailgate lot seventy five dollars that Purdue was going to find a way to get it in the stadium, and that did not happen. So I need to find my seventy five dollars. Um, yeah, I, I saw that. I also saw like the picture of them like putting a tarp on it or whatever, but it just looked like a body bag. Like so, like it was like uh, like when they were going into the stadium or whatever. So there were a lot of jokes to be had there. Did say like some. Not-so-nice things about the drum to Purdue people. I won't say it on here, but um, it's a stupid drum, and uh, they're liars about it anyway, so I don't know like why that was even a story, but go figure. You know what I will say? Um, I was going through Twitter today. They didn't mention the Gary Godsey-Drew Brees game once on the
2: broadcast. No, they didn't. They And they showed highlights of Drew Brees playing Notre Dame, and they were all really positive. But I was like, oh, I guess they're not going to show the game when he lost to a converted tight end.
1: That's crazy. That blows my mind. How many wheeze did we get out of Drew Brees?
2: None. I honestly thought Brees was pretty solid on the broadcast overall. And Trico was hilarious talking about the drum. <laughs> really? He's a broadcasting legend, but yeah, he was just very tongue-in-cheek, making fun of both sides and just sort of like having fun with how ridiculous of a situation it was. And then he actually mentioned it again at halftime. Um, and then I think he basically said... And now the Internet can go back to talking about Nicki Minaj's cousin, referring to her super bizarre tweets lately about her cousin and the COVID vaccine. But it was timely. The delivery was great. And um, honestly, Brees and Tariqo, I thought were great. But Brees was very Street esque in his way of trying to avoid being a homer, like the way Street talks about Ohio State.
1: Interesting. No, that's that's good to hear. Um yeah, I mean, that drum thing got a lot of talk last week. I don't really know why. I mean, it led to me dropping, like, a second Vatican Council reference in a tweet on Twitter, which I don't think I'd ever do, but that's the Notre Dame theology minor coming to, to good work finally.
2: You were a theology minor? Oh, yeah. No way. How am I, This yeah. is the first time I'm hearing this.
1: Really? Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I was, which I think is something that I often forget myself, but I was.
2: Smith the Pious.
1: So was our good friend, uh, Bob Hogan. So uh, the, the two of us were the, the Theo minors in the group.
2: I knew that. It's equally as absurd. I just didn't know. So you had to take five theology classes? I thought it was eight,
1: to be honest. You
2: took eight? Yeah. Two I took- a lot. And that was like the university requirement.
1: I don't know. They were easy, um, but I, I think I took one like in the summer too, uh, like when I was what? in London or something, and it was like I don't know. The the stuff just made sense to me for whatever reason, so I, it was easy enough. And once I saw it was within reach, I just kept doing it.
2: <laughs> I just I don't know. I'm so stunned by this. I can't believe this. I mean, is the there's first not I there's candidly
1: it. there's like not a ton of value to any employers about having a theology mind.
2: What is its application in the real world? Are you gonna become I, a priest
1: certainly not um <laughs> I, I, I don't know i don't know like there's really no application other than the fact that i could do it so i did it
2: <laughs> i can't believe you took eight theology classes i took two and that was yeah. a drag.
1: i mean that's i took wow. on my whole life so it was just like a continuation so whatever
2: that's true <laughs> that's my public school background coming out um all right well uh, let's bring on tyler to talk about the actual game All right. We're excited to have Tyler Horka on the show for the first time. Tyler is a Notre Dame beat writer for our friends over at blueandgold.com. and And this is his first year covering the Irish. So Tyler, thanks for joining us, man. Um, Let's get right into it. What did you like the most from Notre Dame's win over Purdue? I think I liked that despite obviously Kevin Austin,
0: not having his best game of the year, by far his worst game of the year, Notre Dame was still able to have a little bit of success in the passing game. I mean, Avery Davis going for five catches, 121, 120 yards and a touchdown was really the key to the game for me. I know Kyron scored a couple of times. Uh, The fourth down play was huge for Kyron and that kind of got the offense going there. But and then, you know, his last touchdown, the 51 yard uh, run to the end zone there where he's breaking tackles, making guys miss, just kind of willing himself into the end zone. That was, uh, you know, the one that kind of put it to bed. But in between there without. Uh, Avery Davis catching those passes. I mean, Jack Cohn was threading the needle to him on a lot of those and then dropped a dime to him on that long touchdown too. So um, I like the way that, you know, Michael Mayer only had one one catch for five yards in that game too. And yet Jack Cohn at the end of the day has two touchdown passes, throws for, you know, almost 225 yards and he was not at his best. You know, know, Jack Cone, specifically was something not to like in that game but just the fact that look this Notre Dame rushing game is is basically non-existent right now 51 of you know the 120 whatever yards it was came on that one run so you subtract that and there's really no running game just the fact that Notre Dame was able to get those yards through the air despite the top two targets really being non-existent was encouraging to me.
1: Yeah, I would agree about that. Um, I, I'd also say, um, I, I guess I'll kind of get going here with with what I felt. You talked about the Kyron Williams 51-yard run. I talked about this last week, and uh, when they played levels by Avicii over the PA last week, when, between the third and fourth quarters, so it was one of the few highlights of that game for me, personally, honestly. Um, and I was waiting for it this week and was really disappointed when it didn't come on at that threshold. But then I feared that they just strapped it for good. But then at the timeout at like the six minute mark, it came on and I was pretty jacked up. And unsurprisingly enough, the next play was Notre Dame's best run of the season. Obviously, you talked about Kyron making guys miss, breaking tackles, but the line also had one of its best moments on that play with Baker and Carell, uh collapsing the interior to the left side. Madden got to the second level off a double team and hit a backer, and Joe Alt also had a nice block. So at that point, it's all Kyron, and he breaks the 51-yarder and, and basically to, to clinch the game as well as the cover. So he, of course, had that huge 39-yard receiving touchdown, too. We're cone threaded the needle needle like you mentioned, but I just want to say I think they need to play that song in the stadium more often because good things <laughs> seem to happen when that when that occurs. Is it the new Crazy Train? I I mean it seems like it seems like they're done with Crazy Train. I haven't heard it yet. So maybe maybe yeah, it, it is. It used to
2: be like five plays a game. They
1: played it every third down for like six years.
2: <laughs> that seems a little underneath at this point. Yeah. Just a little bit.
1: I guess so. Uh, I guess going defensively, too, Kyle Hamilton was Kyle Hamilton again. After last week where I felt he was a little bit off-brand, uh, but after this week I'm not really sure what you can't say about that guy. I mean, he looked like a god. The play he made on that fourth down stop in the first half was incredible, and I think it was more impressive than the second pick he made at Florida State, honestly. Both of those plays have happened kind of right in front of where I was sitting, and he just zooms to the spot on both of those plays. It's, it's just something that you really can't even – do justice describing what that looks like live, but they're incredible. And then I didn't realize until after the game, when I saw the replay, just kind of the hands he displayed on that pick he had in the end zone. I thought that was super impressive. I mean, he was the Walter camp national defensive player of the week for a reason, 10 tackles, the pick two, two pass breakups. And I mean, you know, thankfully David Bell's okay, but he also knocked their best player out of the game with a a stunning hit. So I, I don't think there's really anything you can't say about that guy other than I'm really glad that Notre Dame has him on their team.
2: Yeah. So before you were uh Notre Dame beat writer, this is your first year. How familiar were you with Notre Dame's recent past? Because I was going to make a reference to Jalen Smith and Joe Smith. Did you follow Notre Dame much back in those days? Yeah. I mean, I'm a university of Texas graduate. So obviously there was that uh,
0: preposterous home and home where, <laughs> you know, Texas barely even brought a football team up here to South bend and then the next week, they played a uh, was a double overtime. I don't know, fifty to forty seven, and you thought both teams were on the up and up. And then obviously, Notre Dame had its worst season of the Brian Kelly era, and Texas was the Texas of the last ten years <laughs> in that season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm familiar with both of those guys. I'm a, I'm also a Cowboys fan, so I'm well versed in Jalen Smith, particularly.
2: Yeah, because in that fourth and one, it reminded me of the Jalen Smith, Joe Schmidt days when sometimes Jalen would just fly by Joe Schmidt. They'd both have an angle to the ball, but Jalen was just so much faster. And that fourth and one, Bo Bauer is kind of in position to make a play. And then Hamilton just flies in front of him. And even Bauer is like stunned at the fact that Kyle is able to get in there and make the play. We just wanted to point that out. Luke, back to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, that also followed a play earlier, and I don't, I like it's hard to criticize this guy because he's been lights out the first year games, JD Bertrand, but he missed a tackle in space on a third down, and I just thought to myself, that's where a Marist or a JOK makes that play. Now, he made up for it with a similar situation later in the game, but you're right. And then Kyle, of course, did that the next drive, so it didn't really matter. Um, but the last thing I wanted to touch on, and I know you want to talk about the defensive line, Woj, but. MTA just kind of seemed to live in the backfield all day. I know his stat line, I think it was five tackles, half a sack, and, and one and a half tackles for loss. But it's really good to see him having that level of success after kind of everything he's gone through the last couple months and certainly living up to his billing as, as a captain, as it is really that that rest of that defensive line has just been rock solid this year.
2: Yeah, that one third down play when Myron just mauled the running back, that was one of the most exciting plays of the game. I I don't know if they even tried to block him, maybe just shed the block right away and then just got the running back on his back right away. But really the whole defense played pretty lights out for all, but maybe the first drive of the game. And like, this is the Marcus Freeman defense that we heard about the big plays given up on that side of the ball, pretty much been the story all season for good reason. I mean, those almost cost Notre Dame a win in both of their first two games, but maybe lost in all of that was the strong start by Mike Elston's D line group that continued on Saturday against Purdue. Going into the game, Notre Dame was ranked 7th nationally in sacks and 4th um, in tackles for loss per game. And then on Saturday, Notre Dame's defensive line accounted for 4 tackles for a loss, 3 sacks, and 7 quarterback hurries. And it was a bunch of different guys getting after the quarterback. And I know Purdue's offensive front isn't, you know, Necessarily the greatest by any measure, but this is three straight weeks now where the D line put on a really strong performance, and if if they keep this up, which I think they will, um, I feel really good about the direction this defense is headed as a whole. And then uh, another thing I wanted to touch on was Avery Davis. Like you said, Tyler, like the other receivers just simply refused to make plays, and Purdue did everything they could to cover Michael Mayer, and Austin kind of looked like a shell of himself. And Avery Davis finishes with five catches on five targets for 120 yards and a 62-yard touchdown. Maybe the main takeaway here is that he needs to be targeted way more than five times a game because two of those plays, like you mentioned, were like Cohn threads the needle and credits him for putting the ball in a spot where only Davis can get it. But both times he finds the soft spot in the zone, which takes a high level of awareness, I think. And then both times he was drilled by the Purdue defenders, like as soon as he got his hands in the ball. So... Now, I guess going forward, do you think Davis's role might change, or do you think this is just like a one-time thing?
0: No, I think this has to be an every-week thing because when you look at the receivers who are playing for Notre Dame, it's really only a four-man rotation. You've got Avery Davis, Joe Wilkins Jr., Braden Lindsey, and Kevin Austin Jr. Obviously, everyone going into the season, you know, thought Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsey were going to be the guys, and maybe you only need those two guys to step up, but Avery Davis last year led this team, you know, with all those guys on the roster. I know Lindsay and Austin have their injury issues, but he led the team among receivers in receiving. So him coming back, uh, I think we did a roundtable over the off season leading into fall camp, and uh, the staff at Blue and Gold kind of predicted who we thought would lead the team in receiving yards, and I picked Avery Davis because I just like his skill set. And like I said, when you're only having a four man rotation it's kind of um, concerning that he was not getting the targets in those first two games, especially coming out of the slot. I think he's a guy that can do a lot of different things. And you talked about it. I mean, he can find soft spots in zones. He did that a few times uh, against Purdue. And then he can beat a man one-on-one, you know, man coverage for a 62-yard touchdown too. So when you've got a guy that can do all of those things and look, I I think Kevin Austin's a tremendous athlete, but so far in the season, he's really only shown the ability to, you know, make the, the long catch. And that just wasn't there with Cone in this last game. A lot of that was on Jack Cone and missing him on, I counted, th- you know, three would be touchdowns probably. But Avery Davis just seems like a reliable receiver in every sense of the word. And he can, you know, make catches at a lot of different levels on the field. So when you got a guy doing that, it's, it, you know, it's a no brainer to me that he's got to get more looks.
1: Yeah, I'll add on to that. I was actually watching before this the Icon video that Notre Dame put out, and there's a scene in that where Kelly is talking to the receivers on the sideline, and he points at Davis and then points to the rest of them and says, you all need to get up to his freaking standard. So like, I think that that's probably a telltale sign that they have a, a great degree of trust in Avery Davis moving forward the coaching staff, and I, I expect that his role will only increase moving forward because of that.
2: Yeah, it was kind of weird when he led the team in snaps – or led the receivers in snaps, excuse me, against Florida State, but didn't get a single target. Um, okay, want to shift one last positive. Um, it's usually not a good sign when you have to praise the punter. But Jay Bramblett was so good against Purdue. Like, I think he deserves some notoriety. He punted seven times for an average of 42.6 yards per punt. Again, not great when you have to punt seven times, but he pinned Purdue back with their own 20 twice. Um, his biggest play of the game came right after the Notre Dame offense failed to put the game away again, up seven, starting on the Purdue 39, Braden Lindsey dropped that surefire touchdown. Actually on that note, Luke, was that in front of you? Cause I know you typically sit in the end zone.
1: No, I was in the other end zone, thankfully. Um,
2: but <laughs> I mean, it looks like I did see pictures. He
1: a hundred percent lost it in the sun. Not that that really made it yeah. any easier for me to accept, but that is what happened there.
2: And then right after that, Cone gets sacked, Notre Dame is forced to punt, and all the momentum that Purdue might have had going into that, Bramblett basically shut it down when he pins it back on their own one-yard line. And uh, special teams coordinator Brian Polian always says net punting is the only thing that matters in that aspect of the game. And if you are unfamiliar, the formula for net punting is yards punted minus return yards minus touchbacks on punts times 20 with the total then divided by the number of points. Probably way too much math. Why the hell is that the formula? <laughs> I I don't know. But like when Polian was asked in the off season about Notre Dame's complete lack of a return game, he just said, this is all they care about. It was a problem when Notre Dame had Tyler Newsome and he just punted the ball as far as he possibly could. And then they couldn't get the gunners down there fast enough. And then they would actually end up giving up pretty sizable returns. But Given that weird formula, Notre Dame is currently ranked 27th in the country, which is so good that I just wanted to give a shout out to Jay Bramblet and the special teams unit. Yeah, I mean, I, I
0: watch Jay Bramblet in pregame warmups pretty consistently. And, you know, all the special teamers are out there by themselves. And I just watch him kick a football. And then I look at the opposition's punter kick a football. And I'm like, man, Notre Dame has something in the field position game here today because he's just you know, lights out better than who they're going up against in that regard. So definitely worth shouting out. And we we interviewed him in the preseason
2: as well. And he's a good dude as well. So you did your due diligence there. Giving Jay a shout out. All right, good. Now, as for the more negative, I mean, I think the obvious starting point would be the offensive line. And Tyler heard you do a hit um, for South Bend Radio earlier today about Notre Dame's offensive line what are your biggest takeaways from that group um, not just after this Purdue game but really just the first three games so
0: well obviously it hurts when you're down to your third string left tackle and I think you have to start right there but I do think Tosh Baker kind of answered the bell uh, in this past game against Purdue look he, he's thrown into a really tough spot because Blake Fisher is kind of heralded as you know Notre Dame produces a lot of really good offensive linemen. They're all over the NFL. You know, watching on Sundays, you just see, oh, yeah, that guy played at Notre Dame. Like I said, I'm a Cowboys fan. Zach Martin was back, and he was a major reason the Dallas Cowboys beat the Los Angeles Chargers this week. Notre Dame's offensive line, you and for Blake Fisher to go down and you lose your guy that's supposed to be the best on that line, you know, in a matter of a couple quarters at Florida State, that was huge. And then the guy that you bring in to replace him, Michael Carmody, goes down. All of a sudden, you're down to your third guy at left tackle, which is arguably the most important spot on the line outside of center. So I think Tosh Baker is really going to have to keep stepping up. I know Michael Carmody might be available this week, but it might you know, be a situation where those two guys are rotating snaps. So uh, Tosh Baker showed enough to say, hey, uh, if Carmody doesn't get the job done here against Wisconsin, throw me in there. You know, I can uh, I can hold my own. Across the rest of the line, uh, I do think it's kind of concerning that um, you've got guys like Rocco Spindler waiting in the wings, and, and John Dirksen's a senior, and those guys haven't played uh, a snap this season, if I'm not mistaken. So you've got these issues at guard with Kane Madden and Zeke Carell, but the guys that you have behind him uh, obviously aren't ready. So if, if Correll and Madden are playing this poorly and kind of losing a lot of their matchups, then you probably don't even want to see what it looks like when those other guys come in, but you know, this is football injuries happen. And I just got done talking about left tackle. So I think the depth is kind of concerning and and the guys that are starting right now as well. I mean, Josh Lugg over at right tackle, I think everybody thought that he would be a little bit more impressive than he's been through three games. So just there's there's not much cohesion across the line. Um, It's got to be incredibly frustrating for a guy like Jarrett Patterson, who I think has done a pretty good job at center just with everything kind of crumbling around him at at some point you see that and it it, it probably seeps into a, even a guy like his head, he's got a great head on his shoulders, but there's a lot going wrong with that offensive line. Um, They just need to string together series where nothing goes poorly. Like if they go out, go out against Wisconsin and all of a sudden, you know, Notre Dame sustains a 70, 80 yard drive and more than half of those yards come on the ground. And I'm not talking, you know, Kyron rips off a 51 yard touchdown and, you know, you've got 50 yards rushing right there. I'm talking, you know, pound the ball seven, eight times for 40, 50 yards and then polish that drive off with a touchdown. This offensive line needs to string drives like that together in the worst way right now.
2: And Luke, both of us have been a little bit critical, but after that game, you said, you think that might've been, the offensive line <laughs> might've gotten the biggest push or best push than they have all season. How do you do you feel differently at all after this one or pretty much the same?
1: Well, I still think that I just I don't think it was, um, you know, covering or or getting over a very high bar there, just given on how their performances have been to date this season. Um, There were certainly some good moments in that game. And I think that maybe we magnify those a little bit more because the performance has been so shoddy to date. Um, But, yeah, I still think it was. Honestly, probably the best they've looked this season. I just don't think they still looked very good at all. Um, but that's that's just kind of my takeaway on it. And I, I don't know if it's something that does see improvement. Like, I, I mean, sure, you have to get better over the course of a season, but it just doesn't seem like something that's an easy fix right now um, and, and not like a clear, gradual, this is going to get better it might just not, and they might just have to find ways to to get the ball to playmakers, Um, but that seems like an issue when just one of your units is just bad, but I I don't know.
2: Um, They'll
1: figure it out, I guess.
2: Yeah, one of your most important (laughs) groups, and basically like the backbone of the Notre Dame football program for the past decade, basically, but uh, staying on the line, one thing I thought was pretty interesting after the game was Kyron Williams said that Joe Alt might – play some sort of a tommy tremble-esque role yeah i don't know i isn't Alt like six eight three hundred five pounds and tyler like mike singer is like the president of the joe alt fan club i don't know how many members of that there are but he's the leader of it and basically has been since we interviewed him this time last fall and he was raving about him and at the time he might have been like the lowest ranked recruit in the class and now all of a sudden he might be getting some key snaps here how do you think his role will change going forward
0: yeah, I don't think he's a Tommy Tremble esque type of dude. I'm looking at the uh, <laughs> roster right now, six seven and five eighths, which I've, I thought it's very funny that Notre Dame goes down to the eighth <laughs> yeah. on the I've never seen that before, but I'm used to it by now. And three hundred and five pounds. So if he can do the things that Tommy Tremble was doing last year, and I went back and rewatched all of those games to prepare for this season, like you said, I'm, I'm new on the beat, so I wanted to, you know, dive right in. Tommy Tremble stood out in basically every single game he, he played in, you know, run blocking and just basically everything that he did was a factor and a force. And the other team just, you know, had issues with it in everything that he did. So if Joe, halt, Joe Alt somehow, you know, channels his inner Tommy Tremble, then I think a lot of issues, yeah, will be solved for Notre Dame. But I mean, yes, he had an awesome pancake on Kyron's run. I don't know if he can do those things consistently. He definitely right. needs more reps. Um, so yeah, maybe throw him in. Like, like I said, Josh Lug is, is struggling at right tackle. And I know he's one of the veterans on this group, but if Joe Alt is some sort of Superman and he can <laughs> do some of these things that Notre Dame desperately needs from anybody right now, I see why you throw him there and look, maybe he makes a mistake and it comes back on earth and we stop having this conversation. But for the time being, if Kyron Williams says, "Hey, Joe Alt is a beast in run blocking," then get him out there. Notre Dame needs that right now.
1: What I also thought was interesting, you know, you saw Andrew Christofik get some snaps on Saturday, and Kelly said, "You know, our offensive linemen are, are playing too many snaps right now." And and I don't know what that means. <laughs> like your offensive linemen are supposed to play the whole game. Like that's kind of that's. I just thought that was a strange quote. And obviously, he's trying to protect them, but I just I found it to be kind of a strange quote.
0: Yeah, he, he said something like that. Uh, I think it was after Florida State, as early as after the first game, where he said, yeah, Zeke Carell and Kane Madden are getting a little worn down. Maybe we need to sub some guys in and rotate a little more at guard. And I was just like, this is the first game of the season. When you have five bona fide dudes on the offensive line, generally they play every snap of every game. I think that was his way of saying, hey, look, these guys might not be – What we're used to at Notre Dame at the guard position, so we're going to rotate in. But the thing to me is, you mentioned Andrew Costafic; he only played maybe two handfuls of eight snaps. Yeah, Yeah. eight eight snaps. So if you keep saying, "Yeah, we're going to rotate guys in at guard," well, I mean, when's that going to happen? Because eight snaps isn't a whole lot. That's that's a couple series and maybe one long drive at the most when you average it out. So I just think that there's a lot of there's just a lot of questions left unanswered with that line right now.
2: Yeah, what are you going to do, play Spindler for the first time, get like his first college game reps against Wisconsin, who is probably like the number two scoring defense in the country or something like that? I don't know. That That's a little bit concerning. Anything else um, really concern you coming out of that game?
0: You know, honestly, um, the offensive line and the running game kind of go hand in hand. And I talked about that a little bit with the running game and that I still think, you know, Brian Kelly and all these press conferences, he keeps saying that, He's confident Notre Dame is going to be able to run the ball in situations in which Notre Dame is supposed to run the ball. But we've seen multiple times, uh, you know, passing attempts on uh, third and short. I mean, the the touchdown to Kyron was uh, a slant on fourth and one. So I'm still a little concerned with Notre Dame's ability just to line up and say, hey, we need a couple yards. We're going to go right at you and, and get them, especially, like you said, playing Wisconsin that has one of the best rushing defenses in the country. Uh, outside of that, I think a lot of people were obviously a little bit concerned with the secondary outside of Kyle Hamilton. We spent, uh, you know, his his due time talking about him already, but I think Cam Hart, Clarence Lewis, um, you know, even Houston Griffith, uh, DJ Brown came in and uh, gave some solid reps as well. I think that unit played a really um, good game. So I know we're talking about things that are concerns. I think it's a uh, you know, a pretty encouraging sign that uh, you had a team like Purdue that basically has no semblance of a running game itself and was just going to pass, pass, pass at you. Marcus Marcus Freeman employed that dime package with some of those guys that I just mentioned. And really, Notre Dame kept everything in front of them, didn't allow big passing play. The only big play in the game from Purdue was a 31-yard rush. Well, I guess there was also that 32-yard, um, Completion to David Bell as well, where there was pass interference on it. He still caught it anyway. Yeah, that was uh, an hope.
2: unbelievable play. Like, I don't know what, what more heart can do there. Right.
0: So if, you, if you're going to give up pass interference on David Bell, you're going to do it. But somehow the guy catches it anyway. So all in all, I think the secondary played played well, which is really concerning. Now it's just time to see if they can string games like that together.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I, I They've actually been considerably better than probably what I – expected going into this year so I think that that's been uh definitely a positive turning point I guess though like to be completely honest with you and I think I've cooled down on this somewhat in the days after the game since Notre Dame is 3-0 and and there's a game with Wisconsin coming up but just like during that game all I can think to myself was that it just was not very entertaining uh I mean Tyler you said it they had seven punts uh <laughs> the offense just seemed to stall for most of that game and well, I don't know if you feel the same way, but, like, at times I feel like I'm watching, like, a Notre Dame of the, the 2000s out there just in a slog against, like, some <laughs> Big Ten team, like a Michigan State or a Purdue. It's just, it's not very pretty.
2: The only difference is Notre Dame's winning these games. True, true. Deal, that is different. They used to be just a dogfight against Washington in, like, late September, and you're thinking, like, how is this the case? <laughs>
1: And that's why I don't want to go all the way there yet because they are still winning the games. But I'm just saying they, I may, we may have taken four years of kind of just being ass kickers for granted because these games are not fun. Uh, <laughs> they're really not. I'm glad that they finally got some separation. But I think what I said during the game is like they're just allergic to going up two scores. Like they have the opportunity and they refuse to do it. So thankfully, Kyron did do it on that 51-yard run. But it's just like, why are we making this? It's not even entertaining. <laughs> We're just making it too close
2: i know tyler how's it been for you you've seen three games the first two were wildly entertaining maybe more entertaining than they should be and then you get i don't know what to even call that purdue game but just not that much fun to watch
0: no i think it's been awesome uh definitely glad a few more fans went through the gates at notre dame stadium for the purdue game than uh, the toledo game because honestly as as thrilling as the Toledo game was especially in that last couple of minutes there was a point there even in that game where it was a bit of a slog as well so uh just to see the you know Notre Dame environment um and I know it's it's going to be better against uh, Cincinnati USC North Carolina you know the true home environments are, are coming up but I got a little bit of a taste of that against Purdue I thought the you know the student section has shown out both times and that's been pretty cool. Um, I uh, like how basically everyone is wearing the like same exact t-shirt is what it looks like from the press box or I don't know, like it just seems so uniform that everyone is wearing the same shade of green. And I know that was the, the MO going into that game was Irish wear green, but both times it seems like it's been pretty uniform and and that's been cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, is what I expected three games in for Notre Dame to be three and O and and now going into um, its hardest game of the season to date. And You know, get to go over, make the drive over to Soldier Field, which is really cool. So I think I'm really getting the Notre Dame experience in that, you know, you open up with a really cool road environment at Florida State. Then you come back, you know, to Notre Dame Stadium, one of the most historic venues in college football for a couple. And now, you know, in true Notre Dame fashion, you get to go play at an NFL venue and I get to, you know, take that in. So, so far, so good. I'm having really fun, Uh, I'm really having fun and enjoying the beat. And it's been a good time so far.
1: You know, I, I will say I thought it was great atmosphere. Um, I agree with Tyler. It was good to see a more full stadium. Um, It was hot, certainly. And I'm kind of sick of these 2.30 start times, like just like as a fan trying. I, I mean, with the excitement of Notre Dame being back at full capacity, obviously a lot of people are coming into town for these games like myself. And then it just kind of turns it into a game of whack-a-mole before the game trying to see everybody. Uh, and, and when you have the two, you lose that hour because I'm used to the 3.30 starts. It's just... It's not the same, but I, I overall I thought the atmosphere was great. I thought the stadium was loud again. Um so yeah, I mean I, I can't say, you know, enough about that. It's it's definitely good to be experiencing that again.
2: What what was the crowd reaction after John Doors missed kick <laughs> because that uh. was definitely one of the more concerning things for me because after the Florida state game, I said, this was going to be the John door revenge tour after last season ended, uh, pretty unceremoniously for him. And don't get me wrong. The the tour is still on and, and we're going to need him to deliver, especially during this brutal five game stretch coming up. But like I audibly laughed at his miss and I'm not trying to be too hard on him. The snap was good. The hold was good. The kick was disgusting. <sighs>
1: Well, because then later in the game, he also hit a kick from deeper out, right? So I don't, I but he, uh, I mean, that's the reason why he was my uh, my brother's bar and grill yeah. award winner. Like they're consistent, or they're not consistent, but they come through when it matters. But yeah, that was. I think I said it was the most predictable miss ever because <laughs> that just seemed like a perfect spot where Notre Dame fails to score a touchdown. Of course, they're going to shank a field goal. <laughs> um, but it was, it was just like a. Wow. I can't even believe how bad he missed that. Uh, It was, it was ugly, but uh, he'll bounce back
0: from the press box. It's usually hard to see what's a good kick and what's a bad kick. Sometimes you don't even know if it goes in or if it just missed, you know, barely went by the goalpost, wide left, wide, right, whatever it may be. Everybody in the press box knew that that was not (laughs) a good kick. And, you know, you mentioned the word shank. That's exactly what someone to my right said. You know, it was just random. It was just like, I think that was a shank. And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, that that's the word for it. So, I mean, the tour is still on. Like you said, I think he's a good
2: kicker. He's just, you
0: know, college kickers are college kickers.
2: It's funny though, that you mentioned that in the press box, you don't even know if it's good or not. There was that one kick he had on the 30 yarder where even the people on TV didn't know if it was good or not. I couldn't believe the ref like so quickly just shot his hands up in the air. I think he might've just gone with it and stuck with it. It's sort of like, when an umpire makes a call, they just have to go with it because if they flip then the rest of the game, the manager is going to be all over them and then it'll seem like they have no confidence. But when they showed that on TV on the replay, like I had no idea whether it was good or not and they said they can't review it if it's really? a, if it's well, they can review it, but if it's above the goalpost when it goes across, they can't review it. Tyler, what did you think Was that good or no good?
0: Yeah, that was another one of those ones where you just look down at the ref and, you know, they put the hands up and you're like, all right, that's good. Let me tweet this out and put it on the message board. (laughs) But, you know, obviously I have my laptop up in front of me and my dad likes watching uh, these games that I cover. You know, he's got no affiliation with Notre Dame or anything, but he's locked in watching the whole game and uh, a text rolls through from my dad and he says, I can't tell if that went right over the upright. Maybe it was just inside or it was off to the the right. And then he watched it again. He's like, yeah, that was pretty much directly over it. So I've seen a few of those kicks on TV where if it's directly over, I think the ref usually sides with good and then they just call it on the field. But yeah, that was was a crazy one.
1: I guess the only other negative I kind of wanted to discuss is I think there's kind of an interesting dynamic at linebacker right now, um, and this might just be me. Obviously, J.D. Bertrand has been outstanding for Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, I talked about it. He, I think, he had 12 tackles again on Saturday. I saw a stat from uh, Frank Vitovich over at UHND that said he has 35 tackles through three games, so that puts him fifth nationally. But it's also the most tackles by a Notre Dame player. Through the first three games of a season since Courtney Watson had 38 in 2001, which was a name I had not heard in a long time, but uh, but that that's pretty impressive, obviously. But it's, what's been curious to me is to see Drew White not having like the same statistical production we're accustomed to. He had five tackles this week, which is more, but he only had one last week, and and I get that he's splitting more reps. With Bo Bauer, but it's just interesting to me to see how that's all unfolded. I don't know if it's a scheme thing or if it's just a matter of reps or, or something else. But I think in Clark Lee's defense, we were so accustomed to seeing him kind of just clean up plays and rack up tackles, and that's just it's not happening. And and I guess I'm just a little bit worried because I just wonder how sustainable Bertrand's start is. Like, can he really keep playing at this level every game? Maybe he can, and and maybe it's not an issue, but. That and just kind of some of the attrition you've had through injury at linebacker and just what's going on with White is just kind of like a, it's a question mark to me. And it shouldn't be because I think that the linebackers have been pretty good, but it's just, it's a little bit curious to me.
0: Yeah, we have on uh, Mike Goolsby, a former, you know, Notre Dame linebacker. He, he talks with Mike Singer, I think on Sundays and kind of recaps the previous game and sets the tone for the week going forward. And he mentioned Drew White and he said, he doesn't look like the same player this year. So I think that's a really good observation and it's probably an accurate one. And I think it's, you know, two things JD Bertrand is playing so out of his mind right now that he's taking a lot of those tackles and he's kind of that cleanup guy right now. He's the one that's all over the field. And, you know, when uh, the opposition gets to that level, the linebacker level, he's the guy that's there. And I also think it's, Maybe Drew White's a little. You mentioned the scheme. He might be a little confused at what he's doing in Marcus Freeman's you know system right now. And not I'm not saying you know that we're what eight months into Marcus Freeman being here and Drew White still doesn't know what he's supposed to do on on the field in this system. I think it's that he's not really comfortable kind of bouncing those responsibilities off with the other linebackers. So he sees J D Bertrand doing all of these things and. It's like, okay, well, what, what do I do in response to that? Or if he's going to make that tackle, then, you know, what am I even doing here type of thing? And then when the play does go to Drew White, we've seen him miss some tackles, and he just hasn't been as sound as he was last year. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a two-fold thing where he's not that guy right now. I'm not saying that he can't be that guy going forward. And then when he has to be that guy on certain plays, it just it hasn't really gone his way right now. I think he's a really good football player and can turn it around, but, It's definitely worth noting that he hasn't really had um, a solid three games so far.
2: Yeah, Bertrand is basically this year what Drew White was last year. I think he sort of surprised a lot of people with his performance last year. And now Bertrand is a guy you simply can't take off the field. And and Notre Dame isn't really taking him off the field ever. He played 81 snaps against Purdue. Um, The next closest to him was Drew White and Bo Bauer. They were tied. They split. Both played 36 snaps, and then Kaiser and Pryor continue to rotate as well. Um, Pryor had three more snaps, and Kaiser 28 to 25. And like you said, Luke, I worry. I worry about the attrition too, because if if Bertrand is making every single tackle, and it, we're only three games through the season, you gotta imagine over the course of a 12 game season, like that's gonna start to w- put some wear and tear on the body. And um, I love his game. He's all over the field, even if he's not making a tackle. He's seems like he's in on the play, blowing it up, or just wherever the ball is, that's where you're going to find it. But I think the more surprising part is like going into the fall camp, he wasn't even expected to be a starter, and now he's a guy you can't take off the field. I guess, do you think there's going to be any personnel changes at linebacker? Do you think the rotation, is that just going to stay the same, or do you think that we might see more Bauer as the season rolls on?
0: No, I kind of like the 50-50 split right now, just in that uh, I think Bauer and, and Drew White are, are so similar that uh, maybe if Bauer got some more opportunities, he could, he'd show some more upside, but the only way you're going to know that is if he does get those opportunities. And right now the 50, 50 split, is kind of working, even though, uh, you know, we, maybe we'd like to see a little bit more out of Drew White. Um, but then again, if, if you put him on the field more then you're, you're taking Bauer off the field. And I think that Bauer comes in and does a, a lot of really good things and, He's so engaged on special teams, too, that when you throw him on the field uh, as part of the 11-man unit on defense, I think he does a really good job. So that's probably your Mike linebacker split. and I think they're going to continue to kind of have that 50-50. And then Isaiah Pryor and uh, Jack Kaiser, honestly, I kind of like Isaiah Pryor right now more in that role. Um, His closing speed is ridiculous, and he kind of sets the edge better than Jack Kaiser does, I think. So I would look for that split to kind of start favoring prior more i know prior has been getting the starts and you know he plays a few more snaps than kaiser but kaiser still gets a pretty significant amount of snaps i think he played 25 in the last game so um would not surprise me at all if prior takes more of a a rep share there and then um maybe we see prince collie this week i know that's a tough assignment to to make your debut against a team like wisconsin but 81 snaps is just ridiculous. And J.D. Bertrand's going to have to take a breather at some point. Brian Kelly said it in his press conference on Monday. He needs a break. And, you know, I think that break is coming. But it's probably only going to only be, you know, five to ten snaps and then get back out there, dude. You're making all these tackles.
2: We need you on the field. Yeah, seriously, if the offensive line is getting too much snaps, like what does that mean for J.D. Bertrand, the position where they <laughs> expect to play every down? Um, one last thing I wanted to touch on on sort of negative side was I'm surprised we actually haven't mentioned this already. Notre Dame's receivers dropped seven passes on Saturday. Seven is a ton. And like if they had cleaned it up just a little bit and dropped four passes, let's say uh, we would probably be talking about this offense in a much different way going into the Wisconsin game. And I understand Cohn missed on a few throws, obviously the most notable one when he missed Austin streaking down the field, which would have been a wide open touchdown. Um, And he didn't place the ball perfectly on all of his throws. But this was just a really poor showing by every Notre Dame receiver not named Avery Davis, and considering Tyler, like you mentioned, they're only really rotating four guys, and Purdue did everything they could to take Mayer out of the game, and it worked, so it's it's clearly possible. But this is definitely something that I think can and should be cleaned up, but do you think that this is a larger concern going forward?
0: No, I I really think it was probably just one of those days. And look, these are the type of things that really compound when – Got Cohn misses Kevin Austin a couple times early there. You start getting it in your head like, oh, man, we don't have it in the passing game today. And then when he hits you, you know, on the money and you drop it, you're like, oh, man, like it's really not our day. I think it was one of those types of things. Um, I know practice and in-game situations are completely different, but we saw plenty of Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsey just making incredible catches in practice. They can do it. They just have to do it early in games. It didn't happen early against Purdue. And when that happens, like I said, it kind of gets into your head that it's not going to be your day. And then Brayden Lindsay has, I think that that was in the fourth quarter where he dropped that uh, with the touchdown pass. Right. And, you know, maybe he did get it loss in the sun, but at the end of the day, it hit him right in the hands and he dropped it. I guarantee you, if he has that catch nine more times, he has that situation nine more times. I think he's scoring nine touchdowns right there. So yes, seven drops, absolutely concerning in any game but going forward I don't think Notre Dame has seven drops in any other game the rest of the season
1: yeah it's funny you say that because I actually noticed at one point I think early in the second half uh Cohn went over to Austin on the field there was there was a flag and he clearly was doing something that he didn't like with a with route or something and you could just see it seemed like Austin was in his own head a little bit at that point and I think once that Once you have a couple drops, a couple of miscommunications, then it just all starts compounding. But hopefully something that can be rectified. Um, But it definitely did seem like he was in his own head. And then, I mean, he was effectively benched, you know, at at some point in that fourth quarter, I think it was. So um, just not his day. But I'm doubtful we'll see another day like that from him again.
0: And then, you know, speaking of getting benched, though, I think it might be time to give Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey some looks. You know, we saw them come in in the Toledo game and make back-to-back catches those guys are really talented. And when you're running with the, basically, like we said, a four man rotation, at wide receiver, to me, that's just not enough. Uh, You got to spruce it up a little bit, give some guys some other opportunities. And then, you know, if Dion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles come in and make a few catches and I know they're only true freshmen, but maybe they show guys like Braden Lindsay and Kevin Austin, like it's doable, like that you can go out there, run your route precisely. Cone can put it on the money and you can make the catch. So I think it might be time to kind of uh, give some other guys some opportunities.
2: Yeah, I mean, Styles didn't really help himself out early in the game. I think on the first drive of the game when he got that false start penalty, which was one of four false start penalties for the Notre Dame offense, which that's another that's all another negative just at home when you're getting these pre-snap penalties. Those are pretty frustrating. But I think that about wraps up for the negative. Luke, do you want it to take us to our next segment? Yeah.
1: So uh recurring segment here. Um, we're going with who's drinking free. Uh, so I guess I'll get into this here. Uh, I'm going with Kyron Williams. I don't really know what else I can say about him. I already talked about his two big plays, but that icon video I mentioned uh, from earlier with, with the scene with Kelly and the wide receivers, there's also a scene where, and I know it happened right, literally right before Kyron's 51-yard run because you can hear levels playing in the background of it, and he's yelling at his teammates on the sideline because I think that was a short yardage situation or something. And he says, they know we're going to run the fucking ball, so let's <laughs> fucking do it. And then the next play, he goes for 51 yards. So you uh, can't really ask for a whole lot more out of your captain. I don't know if he's 21 or not. He's got to be close. He's a junior, right? So if, if, he's, if he's not, we'll make something else work. But... Yeah. Um, I think that that's, that's a very uh, very fair selection for this this week's edition of that.
0: Yeah, I could go a couple different ways here, but I'm going to go back to the guy that I started this podcast with and Avery Davis. And, you know, if this is something that's the start of uh, a really good year for him, then I think we'll look back on this game and say, you know, remember when Avery Davis caught that 62-yard touchdown and he was really the only – Notre Dame wide receiver that was doing anything against Purdue yeah that kind of carried over into the latter half of the year and you know he kind of became a dude again so uh he was in the post game press conference and he seemed really confident he seemed like uh, honestly the weight of the world had been lifted from his shoulders so I think that's a really good sign uh for Notre Dame and yeah if I was uh if I was at brothers with Avery Davis I'd buy him a drink for sure
2: that's interesting. What do you mean by that? Like the weight of the world was lifted off his shoulders. Do you think he was just relieved because he, he finally had a big game?
0: Yeah, because you look at those first two games, and uh, like we said, against Florida State, uh, was it that he didn't even have a single target? A target, like, yeah, let alone yeah, a catch. And then against Toledo, um, another game where kind of both teams were throwing the ball all over the place. I think he only had what three catches for 29 yards in that game. So just to go off for five catches, 120 yards, and that touchdown. And like I said, really be the guy um, in Notre Dame's passing game. Uh, he walked into that post-game press conference room, and um, I'd say Kyron Williams was probably the most chipper of the five guys that we got, but that's just kind of his personality. And, of course, scoring the two touchdowns he did, he was going to be that way. But outside of that, I think Avery Davis you know, looked really relieved. He had a smile on his face. Uh, he spoke with confidence. I, I think he had the quote where he said, uh, don't knock this Notre Dame offense. Like you, you really haven't seen anything yet. Like we're, you know, we're just getting started. We're we're trying to get comfortable. We're trying to get all things, uh, trying to get our ducks in a row. And once we do, like, you know, we're going to do some things this year. So, yeah, he's definitely worthy of um, whatever uh, he wants to drink.
2: Yeah, I was honestly surprised. Coach Kelly didn't give Davis the game ball after this one. He gave it to senior captain and notorious South Bend bad boy, Kurt Heinish instead, uh, because Heinish apparently was the vocal leader all week in practice and so was sort of instrumental in, in getting the defense back to playing to their standard. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think with both of us picking, like if he's not going to get the game ball, um, he can get two of us getting them free drinks. So it might not, Might not be what he wanted, but it'll have to do for now. I mean, Davis
1: has been in South Bend for like a decade, so we know he's over 21.
2: Yeah, I know for sure he's 21. He's played every position (laughs) on the roster and has been at the school forever. (laughs) All right, well, be sure to check out Tyler's work on blueandgold.com all season long and give him a follow on Twitter at T-B-H-O-R-K-A. Tyler, we appreciate the time, man, and look forward to doing this again soon.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks a bunch.
2: That's a wrap for this episode, and now it's officially time to start looking ahead to the one we've all been waiting for, the Shamrock Series game against Wisconsin and Chicago. We'll be back on Friday morning to get you ready for that game, and in the meantime, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sons of Sad Irish. Talk to you Friday.